0: On the eastern bank to their left they saw long, formless slopes, stretching up and away towards the sky. Brown and withered they looked, as if fire had passed over them, leaving no living blade of green and unfriendly waste without even a broken tree or a bold stone to relieve the emptiness. They had come to the Brown Lands that lay, vast and desolate, between southern Mirkwood and the hills of the emyn What pestilence or war or evil deed of the enemy had so blasted all that region, even Aragorn could not tell. I'm in the otherwise beautiful and mysterious riverlands between Lothlorien and Rohan. It's a strange mesh of history, as varied and swirling as the Anduin itself. Existing together are an active Rohirric fort, the looming figure of the Kuthstan, a few scattered Malorn trees heralding the outskirts of Lorien, brigands, Gondorian ruins, and all manner of fauna. But strangest and most foreboding of all is where the green of the rich valley all but disappears into blasted desolation. Bald hills, a few struggling tufts of brown grass, a dried-out garden, and lots and lots of enemies. If Aragorn could not tell what had done this to the land, then neither can I, but we'll give it a shot anyway. It's the Brown Lands, and you are listening to Beneath Your Feet. For my money, the Brownlands may just be the most history-dense area in Middle-earth. At first glance, this may not seem obvious, but we've got ranging Rohirrim, Easterling soldiers, blue sorcerers, trolls, and the remains of an ent garden in a sub-region roughly the size of Archit. There's even a foreboding palisade that keeps us from going further east, for now. So where to begin with so much to tease out? Ultimately, this show is about the land, so let's start there though there isn't much to tell. In some age long past, this would have been a lush mead of tall grasses, perhaps flowers and more fed by the nutrient-dense soil of the Anduin Valley. We know that Middle-earth is a mythical prehistory of our own world, and so all the natural rules apply. Rivers flood seasonally, depositing rich minerals into the soil from the slowly eroded mountain rocks at which the water course begins. It's quite beautiful, really, if we think of the interconnectedness of the natural world. How those mighty mountains of mist feed pleasant valleys far below. Of course, the enemy can't stand such beauty. At some point, Sauron, again through means unknown to us, blasted this area to near death. There's plenty of speculating to be done if we wish to think through an explanation. Many Easterling armies have come this way over the centuries. It's near Dol Guldur, and Sauron spent the initial part of the Second Age in the East. All of that is beside the point as this land has become a staging ground for what we know will be a nasty incursion into Rohan. The Brownlands were our first glimpse at what would become a standard ornament during the War of the Ring, Easterling Kundalar Warriors. They appear again in Gondor during the Battle of Pelennor, and then again in Mordor itself, and then again when we reach the Iron Hills and find countless Easterling refugees fleeing their homes because of some catastrophic event that punctuated the end of the war. But the real story here is not the rank-and-file Easterling soldiers, but the weird ones that wear blue from head to toe. Besides the bright colors of their garb, they seem to be able to do spells. They cry out for someone they call Koraton, They do that really annoying thing where our screen becomes all blurry for a bit, and they build massive sculptures of birds. I can recall my first visit to this zone when it released before the Big Rohan expansion, and my imagination positively sizzled. For we know, albeit in bits and scraps, that possibly even before the start of the Third Age, the Blue Wizards were sent to the East and, again possibly, that they started various cults and sects during their efforts to thwart Sauron. The results of this effort are completely unclear. Tolkien himself wrote that he just didn't know. So perhaps they proved to be helpful, and perhaps not. But to name a whole faction, the blue cast is entirely evocative of our wise, mysterious Istari. This mystery is further wrinkled by the name Coriton. My initial thought was that this would have been a reference to one or both of the blue wizards as heads of this league of sorcerers. It would seem that the Easterling tongue was represented by some form of old Indo-Aryan language, and a cursory inspection from a layman like myself reveals that there are words of similar sound to Koraton that mean things like wise, and bird, and perhaps even blue-black. We're given further clues as we learn that the blue cast is divided into two disciplines, the Brotherhood of Mind and the Brotherhood of Spirit, two schools for two blue wizards. However, as is usually the case, we get a nice spanner in the works when we talk with the traveled Rohirrim named Gamel. He says he understands a bit of the Easterling's language and declares that Koraton must mean something like Black Cloak. Again, I tried to wrangle this into my little blue wizard theory, but more experienced language experts have told me that Uzbek was probably used for the Easterling languages, in which the prefix "kora" means black, and then the quest text becomes explicit. Black Cloak must be to do with the Nazgul. Well, we shan't rule out the Blue Boys just yet, but we must speak to the incursion of the ring wraiths. These quests occur just after the Fellowship passes by and Legolas shoots down a fell beast, so whoever was riding it surely would have retreated to this massive encampment of Easterling allies in the Brownlands. We also know that Camul, the Lieutenant of Dal Guldur, was himself an Easterling, and no doubt held sway over his people there. So who knows what happened? Maybe the Blue Wizards did their best but some of their disciples still serve the shadow. I hope one day we can find out as many great mysteries lie to the east. All thoughts of blue spellcasters fly from my mind as I top one of the more redundant brown hills and see before me a treeish giant. It's an Ent, of course. stump by name. Not unlike our good friend Treebeard, this one is also in search of the fabled Entwives, but at least he's being a bit more proactive about it. Gnarlstump tells us that the brambly construction below us could quite possibly be the remains of one of the gardens of the Entwives. The connection between the Entwives and the Brownlands is one of the few canonical certainties we get from the text regarding this region. Treebeard says as much, and bears a first-hand account. He went in search of his wife Fembrithil after the War of the Last Alliance, only to find that the once verdant gardens, that great love of the Entwives, was blasted and gone, and the Entwives were nowhere to be found. So while the plan of Gnarlstump to do a bit of sciencing in the garden soil is less than fruitful, we discover something truly interesting. There, among the intruding trolls and woven lanterns and drying brambles, is a huge and beautiful flower, and most intriguing of all, it is exactly like those flowers in the old forest. Not to cut our time here in the charming Brownland short, but this mystery cannot wait. Through the magic of online games, I'm able to swiftly return to the Bree lands and the Old Forest, and sure enough, the flowers are the same and even bear the names of the Entwives. It might be easy to dismiss this as game developers simply recycling assets, but this is not the case. For we know that the Old Forest and Fangorn were long ago one massive wood. The Entwives would have gone this way. We also know, again canonically, that the Entwives did have their gardens in the Brownlands. And finally, we can find the same flowers to the north of the Brownlands in the Anduin Vales where the river maiden Gulthava keeps one in remembrance of her friend, named Fimberthil. So many questions. What is the connection between the river maidens, including, we can surmise, Goldberry, and the Entwives? What kind of amazing parties did they throw? How far did the Entwives travel? And is there any such connection between the Entwives and the river maidens we meet in Gondor? While the Brown Lands themselves may be intentionally bleak and unimpressive, they are a gateway, a kind of breadcrumb for us to follow as we trace the many varying and sometimes contradictory threads of Middle-earth's mysteries. For it's always true that Even in the most unwelcoming of places, there exists millennia of history, countless footsteps passing over the land and leaving their mark, of tiny drops rippling outwards for us to feel even centuries later. Thank you for listening to Beneath Your Feet. For more information on the show, please visit anchor.fm slash L-O-T-R-O-B-Y-F. Any support, a review, a share, a donation is all very much appreciated. Beneath Your Feet is also available on YouTube. Search for Lotro Beneath Your Feet to listen to past episodes and watch current streams. You can also join me live each month for the Beneath Your Feet live stream on twitch.tv slash lotrostream. With each show, we dive deep into a particular region of the Lord of the Rings Online, hunt for Easter eggs, and talk lore for the upcoming podcast episode. Today's music comes from the Lord of the Rings Online soundtrack. This episode was written and read by me, with special thanks to Connell for their help with languages, and a reading by Phil Dragish. My name is Shoreless, and we'll see you next time when we go Beneath Your Feet.